Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to the Two Scene Podcast. Welcome, first-time listeners, to the Two Scene Podcast, the podcast where two aspiring journalists sit down and talk baseball. I'm your host, Tyler Foy, and alongside me today is my wonderful co-host, Camilo Fonseca. And Camilo, baseball is back! Oh my god, it felt like it was never going to happen. But uh, finally, we are back. We're in spring training. Um, We have a new CBA after a lot of wrangling that had to go on. So um, yeah, that's what we're going to talk about first, I think. And I I think we left off the last podcast episode saying that the next time we record, we hopefully would have some good news. So that is our good news. And I know it's been a little bit, uh, things have gotten a little hectic in our lives. You know, there wasn't a lot going on in baseball, but we're glad to be back to talk to you guys about some of the new things inside the CBA, the new additions that are going to be coming to the major leagues this year and kind of our thoughts on each one of those issues or at least the bigger ones our thoughts on them and then we'll get touch on free agency Uh, a lot of things have happened a frenzy of signings and and big names coming off the board i think it was a little slower than i had anticipated but uh we'll get to that on the back half of the podcast but yeah let's let's start with the cba it took a, a long time 99 day lockout and so we finally got to a solution and agreement. And some things are still even being negotiated, but they've pushed it further. So, yeah, the um, they went to the final deadline that MLB, you know, sort of arbitrarily set. We can't cross this deadline or else we'll start canceling games. And then it looked like they were going to have uh, a last-minute agreement in Jupiter, in Jupiter, Florida, where they were negotiating and it negotiation there was like a 16 hour negotiating session and they went late late into the night only for us to hear that oh they'll be back in the morning and we'll push the deadline back and then they didn't meet that deadline they canceled the first 3 games of the regular season um but i think it was a week after that that basically the same thing played out and it looked like we were going to cancel more games uh but I, you know at the nick of time mlb and uh, the players union agreed to this cba so um yeah i think i I was i was really worried and i i stayed up late that night of the the first time that they were like getting really close while refreshing twitter like a madman over and over again hoping to see some sort of um, agreement come through and it didn't of course we know what happened and as you said I, i believe actually it was the first six games of the season they canceled uh then the next time came around they were like okay we'll cancel another week if we go past this deadline they went past the deadline and then they're still kind of negotiating they're basically are just giving so much leeway in it because they understand that also they want a 162 game season and they got it and i think what happened was that the i think public opinion had been on the players union side for basically the majority of the lockout you know as it should be but getting towards the end i think baseball fans were starting to get a little sick of these negotiation strategies. Um, the big issue towards the end of the negotiations was this international draft, um, which was not even a major issue. Like, nobody was talking about that a month ago, um, and it threatened to derail the entire negotiation process. But luckily, they were able to, you know, kind of kick that can down the road a little bit. I think the deadline is July 25th mm-hmm. for them to take another look at it. So I believe if they... If the players' union does not agree to the international draft of uh, international free agents by the 25th of July, then the league will bring back the qualifying offer. Is that right? 
I believe so. There's there's a lot of things with the qualifying offer, which I didn't think was that controversial of a issue because the qualifying offer, if you don't know, when a free agent um, goes past his six-year tenure at a team, a team can uh, then, or just when a contract runs up, they can send a qualifying offer, which I think before was $18.9 million, um, to kind of, you know, as a contract extension if they wanted to stay, or they can opt out of it to get, uh, well, the player can go to free agency and the team will get a first round compensation pick, uh, which if the player ends up getting signed by another team. So there, there's a lot there to unpack, but I didn't expect the qualifying offer to be so controversial as it was. Well, I think it was that it was being used as this bargaining chip for the international draft, which i that's what I didn't think was going to be very controversial. But it seems that a lot of the international players, especially Latin American players, were very much against it. And that torped, that basically almost torpedoed the whole thing. Well, David Ortiz came and even spoke in front of all of the owners uh, over Zoom or over a phone call, whatever it was, and uh, kind of discussed how uh, the Dominican Republic wasn't ready for this. So they don't have the facilities to or the infrastructure to kind of have an international draft that the and. and I guess he was speaking for other countries as well, but mainly for the Dominican Republic. And I, I could understand he was not disagreeing. I don't think any of the players were disagreeing about the international draft. They were disagreeing that they could implement it as soon as possible. Right. Um, and looking at the proposal that they that they put forth, uh, 20 rounds, uh, so 600, uh, over 600 different selections would be made. Right. It's that's, just like, that's a lot to implement within you know a very short period of time I mean, that's, so that's i understand the, the resistance that's the current draft it's 20 rounds right so. but I, I think to implement that you know on the international scale would oh, take a lot under, more. i understand yeah. no i'm agreeing with you i'm just saying that in to compare it with the current draft right. that is the current right, draft. right right well that said i do think that you know this is an issue where i i do understand where the the uh league is coming from uh, because the current system for international free agents is not at all uh, equitable, fair, ethical even, uh, because there's so many different things, whether it's like, you know, uh, young players being taken advantage of by agents or, or doping that goes on, or, or there's just so many things because the market is so unregulated now that I think is also something that is worth addressing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think the international draft, is inevitable at some point uh whether that's you know two three years down the line or more than that i don't know but mm-hmm. i think i think we're it was good that this uh, this topic was brought to public attention in these negotiations because it's beca- it's going to become the system in the future just like uh, the nhl just like the nba no i i completely agree i think that i i'm not opposed to the international draft i think it's kind of interesting um, and it's going to bring a new aspect to front offices and, and how you kind of scout players and the importance there. Um, but moving forward with other things that have um, been agreed upon, the kind of the bigger ones is the universal DH, um, oh, yeah. expanded playoffs to 12 teams, and uh, the draft lottery. That Those are kind of the three things I feel like that are the biggest changes to the game that's coming forward. We have some minor things as uh, banning the shift. Uh, that's not a minor thing, actually. That's pretty bad. That's a major thing. I'm, um, I'm curious. What do you feel about uh, well, banning the shift? Hold on. Besides banning the shift, we also have uh, larger bases and a pitch clock. Do those... you want to run through all of those? 
three? Because those are the three that they are not implementing this season, but I think for 22, they're going to look at implementing. This is 22. Or 23. <laughs> this is 22 for 23. <laughs> Sorry. There's like a 45-day period, period where they yeah. uh, can't uh, implement new rules. Um, but we can... Why don't we start with the universal DH? Because I think... That's a much more um, interesting conversation, especially because it's happening right now. Uh, the international D or not international universal DH is something that I've been for for a few years now. I wasn't always for it, uh, but as I develop my own opinions on the issue, uh, I completely agree with the decision to have universal DH. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> um, you know, I think that is the least controversial aspect of of this new CBA. I think it's something that. A lot of people have wanted for a very long time. As fun as it is to go see five, six ERA pitchers go and strike out every couple innings, you know, I think to uh, to sort of modernize the game, that's something that needs to be done. Yeah, so. and I think it opens 15 new roster spots on in NL ballparks, right? And I know some purists are saying, well, you know, they, they love that, the difference, right? The difference of the NL and the AL. But I completely don't mind. <laughs> I don't want to watch a hundred average pitcher uh, pitchers take abs. You know, you have the Zach Greinke's and the Madison Bumgarners of the world. Uh, I'm not even going to mention Shohei. Okay, he's a different animal. But you have those, <laughs> you know, types of hitting pitchers as well. But they're few and far between, right? I mean, even so, it's been the National League has had these pitchers hit for you know years and years now, and or forever, right? And and it's not. They, the pitchers don't work on hitting. You right. know, they work on putting bunts down. And some people are like, oh, the small things in baseball, we're losing it. But I, I, I can't get behind it. Yeah, if you, you want to lay down a bunt, you could still lay down a bunt. It doesn't have to be the pitcher, you know? You know people are crying They like we're never going to see another Bartolo Colon home run again. Um, because you know that those are like special moments in baseball. But you know why they're special? Because they never happen. <laughs> because that's such a once-in-a-lifetime occurrence. That it's not even worth uh, cha- like keeping the product the same if it's going to happen once every couple years. Mm-hmm. And as I mentioned earlier, you know, the baseball is changing and a lot of purists are not happy about it. Uh, but something that I feel like does benefit the game and sets it up for the future is the expanded playoffs going from 10 teams making it to the postseason to 12 teams. I was against it originally. I was against the expansion yep. of the playoffs because... I think that's what kind of makes baseball special. And once the MLB was like, oh, let's let's get 14 teams. Let's get it's 14 teams in the playoffs. That is too many for a 30-team league. If the league was to expand, add two more teams, maybe I could see 14 being a reasonable amount of uh, teams in the postseason. But I think 12 is fine. I, I, I think that in baseball, it's a little different because in this case scenario, the two best teams are going to get a bye. And in in a game where you play every single day, there's a reason why baseball is played every single day, and it's for repeti- repetition. And in the NFL, where teams play just once a week, uh, that bye week kind of makes sense. And I'm a little worried about baseball because um, the pitcher isn't going to go out every five days. Now we're going to have a series in between, um, another an extra series in between, I guess. But I, I think that overall it's a positive movement for the game. Uh, obviously, who doesn't want more postseason baseball? As long as a losing record team does not make the playoffs, I'm okay with it. Well, here's the thing, is that P- 
people are talking about, oh, crying foul about losing record teams getting into the postseason. But let's if this had been instituted last year, all of the 90-win teams in the AL East would have gone to the postseason. Um, the Blue the Blue Jays, Red Sox, Yankees, Rays. That makes for an incredible playoff uh, series where you can not only have Red Sox, Yankees, you can have Red Sox, Rays, you can have Rays, Blue Jays. You know, there are so many different uh, combinations that can be that can come out of a lot of these really competitive divisions. Um, not just the AL East, NL West. There are more possibilities now. I, like you, I was not in favor of expanded playoffs before. Um, but I don't know. I think it, it is something, uh, a change that's just slight enough where it doesn't change the whole dynamic of, of the postseason, but does add a little bit of extra excitement. So yeah, that'll be very interesting. I think it's entirely possible that we end up with four teams from the same division in the postseason, and that will be incredible. You know, two of those playoff uh, possibilities did happen. I don't know if you recall, uh, Red Sox Rays. Right, did but imagine all four of, or imagine all four teams getting to play against division rivals. Oh, I, I understand where you're coming from. In the from. postseason, I just you know what I don't. That series was a that, great series. Yeah, well, uh, there are different combinations that can happen this year that might have better outcomes. But, you know, that's neither here nor there. We don't have to rehash the past, Tyler. And, and on, the, on the topic of what this does for future, I, I do believe that this is something that could lead to the expansion of the league. And I would like to see the expansion. Would you like to see the league expanded? Oh, absolutely. Because yeah. this has been a topic that prior that's we've talked a, That's on. a whole other episode. Well, I we got, have I actually got had all... that episode. That's we'll, why we'll I mentioned it. Again. We'll have it again. Maybe if the slow news day in baseball, but hey, spring training's back, everybody. I hope you're watching and you're keeping your eyes peeled for some of these prospects. Of course, the early weeks of spring training, it's only going to be, you know, ah, not the best players, maybe a couple ABs from all stars, but nothing too crazy. I know right now, Bobby Dalbeck has been doing well for the Red Sox and uh, he's kind of. I would say the only notable player that's getting playtime. Oh, Jackie Bradley played today, but notable player getting playtime for the Red Sox. Not a lot for the most part, but I, I have been enjoying watching the little bits of spring training I've been able to catch during uh, my classes. And, you know, as we as we talk about spring training and, and we talk about what's going on on the field, uh, some changes, as we mentioned, are just going down on the field and not this season, but or that are coming up, you know, changes that are going to be coming to the future of baseball one being the banning of the shift and i think it's super interesting on on field implementations because those are the ones that we're really gonna see the changes of immediately right that's something that the shift has been there you know the ability to shift has been there for a while it wasn't always a part of the game that managers kind of figured out how to really utilize it to its fullest um but i personally i am against the banning of the shift. And I think that um, it's rewarding hitters for the three true outcomes of baseball. You know, I um, I waffled between it. But, you know, ultimately people don't pay to get into baseball games to, you know, watch um, double plays happen every, you know, every inning, right? People pay to get into baseball to see hits. Um, and obviously that's not precluding teams from playing defense or play or, or maximizing the game to best uh, operate that defense. 
But there is a good argument to be made that the the shift, especially the extreme shift, was really reducing the enjoyability that people got out of baseball games. So I'm not, like, I understand the arguments against it, but I do think it's something that can be positive for the game. I feel like we're not rewarding the well-rounded hitters enough, in my opinion. I mean, I know that there's only so many people that can really control the bat and go to any part of the ballpark, but that's what we should be rewarding. I think that the people that are hitting the baseball to the same part of the field 90% of the time they're at bat uh, should be getting penalized for it. And if you're going to be so predictable, and this is obviously working, if you're going to be so predictable, and, and hitting a baseball is already hard, I understand that. So, you know, hardest thing to do in sports. But these are the professionals. These are the best of the best in the league. I don't think that we should be um, televising Joey Gallows and kind of he's a role model to a lot of hitters. So I don't think these type of players should be um, kind of getting away with this now. But I yeah, I definitely see that. And certainly there are teams that rely heavily on the shift, including the Rays, um, that are going to suffer from this new rule. Um, But I think trialing it next year will be something uh, we'll get a better sense to see how it affects the flow of the game. How, like how significantly the pace of play change. I don't want to fall into the Rob Manfred trap of pace of play. Um, but it will be something, I don't know. I think it's something worthwhile to at least test out. Um, uh, and then yeah. we can revisit this conversation at the end of next season. Yeah. And I also don't have, a, I don't have an issue with the extreme shift. You know, the, I think the extreme shift, having your second baseman in the outfield, your shortstop at playing second base and the third baseman playing up the middle is a bit much but also maybe hit the other way. I don't know if you're getting the entire upper side of the infield, but I don't, I actually don't like the, uh, the extreme shift. Uh, I, I think that should go, but I don't think a shortstop playing up the middle a little bit off to the right of second base is too terrible for baseball. Um, but as you're saying, the arguments against it obviously is for more action, more singles, more men on base. And what this is taking away for is definitely hurting the kind of speedy contact hitters, right, that have been able to abuse the shift in a way where um, they're able to hit to all parts of the field. But MLB did announce that they are making the bases larger, which benefits the fast contact hitters because these bigger bases shortens the base paths. um, And a couple inches really does make a difference in baseball, uh, especially when you're running. So these, uh, it could be for more uh, infield hits, and I guess that's the direction the game's going. I, when I first heard that they were doing um, these larger bases, I was like, well, what the heck does that mean? Right. What is that for? But it is to make it so, one, players are, we're going to see less injuries on the base paths, hopefully. That's, that's the goal with it. That's what they've said it's going to do. And then, obviously, once again, more infield singles, uh, sh- more, more stolen, stolen bases. bases. Yeah. That's something that I'm very excited to see Um, because I think a lot of teams have gotten, in the last couple of years, have gotten very reluctant to be stealing bases in high leverage situations. Um, But, you know, that's what makes the game fun. That's what makes the game interesting. So if it incentivizes teams to be a little riskier on the base paths, then I'm all for it. I'll tell you what. I've watched a lot of Red Sox baseball last year, and they uh, they were pretty risky on the base paths, and it did not work out for them. 
So maybe this change will help us. Or maybe they can get their head on a swivel and not run when there's two outs <laughs> and you're going third base. Alex Verdugo, I'm looking at you. But hey, it's exciting. <laughs> Christian Vasquez, I'm looking at you. Please stop stealing bases. Oh, yeah. Um, there's also the pitch clock that they're thinking of. 20 seconds. That... Um, was was that the amount of time that was trialed in the minors? I don't remember. I believe the it was 30, but I believe they want to get it down to 20 seconds. The 20 seconds. Interesting. Yeah. No, I think that's something that, you know, people have also been talking about for a long time. Um, and it'll be... I don't really know how much that slows the pace of play down. Well, that's the whole thing. So, before we get into the pitch clock in itself... Pace of play has been this converse, ongoing conversation in baseball, whether or not that's the problem with baseball. Do you think pace of play, I mean, there's a lot of different issues in baseball. Do you think pace of play is a big difference in baseball? I don't think it's the issue, but certainly it's something that needs to be addressed. And I think Rob Manfred, for all of his faults, <laughs> um, which we were clearly uh, on display the last couple months, for all his faults, I think he is right to be at least addressing that issue um, because baseball games are the longest game are the longest games in organized sports. They are only getting longer. So I, I think addressing pace of play is the right thing to do. Whether pitch clocks make a significant difference, I, I personally am not sure. Um, but you know that's why they're going to be trialing it. I don't. Th- I'm not inherently opposed to the idea. I just don't think. I don't know how much shorter this is going to make the game. And we're only speculating what we can't, right? So I just don't think that if the baseball games were 10 minutes shorter, that that would make a big difference in attendance or viewership, anything like that. And if that is what Manfred is really trying to get at, I don't think 10 minutes is going to make that difference. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, Something that was interesting, I don't remember if the CBA has this. They were talking about having different clocks they were talking about having different times for runners on base and for bases empty, which, to my knowledge, is not something that was trialed in the minors. But, yeah, I mean, if it's only 10 minutes, I don't know how useful that is. But, you know, 10 minutes is also not nothing. So I, I don't think they should necessarily abandon the idea if we're only getting minimal results. Mm-hmm. Um, and then lastly, the rule that they are considering for 23 which i think we might have some disagreement on is the implementation of robot umpires automatic ball strike zones um which i i mean let's hear what what are you thinking tyler i i hate it i hate robot uh robo ums i think that maybe we could have a checking system that's fine but this is i dislike robo ums entirely for the name of the game you're getting rid of an important part of catching that is taught to many players as they go through the system that is an important aspect of catching is framing and i understand you're like what tyler deception the strike zone is the strike zone but the strike zone is also different per player right and that's difficult to kind of mediate if you're an umpire right so framing is also an important aspect of the game just because That's something that is valuable to catchers. Catchers have been working on this for years and years and years, and we're seeing many catchers get jobs because of their framing ability and their their work behind the plate. So let's say we do have automatic balls and strikes. You know, I'm not 
against having the right call every time. I love having the right call. And I'm sure everybody's been a fan of a team and there was a call that was wrong that was like a strikeout or a walk and you got very angry at the game but at the end of the day to me that's just baseball but i can understand your frustrations but we could have kyle schwarber going back at catcher we could have anybody playing catcher because they just need to catch the ball and throw it down to second base that's all you would need at that point there's no real um i guess you would need to be able to to block a baseball as well if it was in the dirt i understand that but the possibilities are kind of endless with catchers now and I think we're taking away a key position of the game because I don't really want to see Byron Buxton catching and then they're going to put some other center fielder out there not that that would happen because he's an elite defense player but just the idea of that kind of ticks me off I think that it's important for the game to have these catchers that are trained in the position see I disagree I think rather than limiting catchers it incentivizes catchers to be more athletic because you have to now the focus is on the arm and their defensive capabilities beyond just framing and i like umpiring is at the some of the worst that it's been before well umpiring is an entirely different issue in baseball because baseball has the worst system i've ever seen for implementing new umpires into the game if you want to know a little bit about it the average umpire age is older than any of the others American sports for referees and such like that and when you get into the minors you have to work your way as an umpire to AAA and if they don't have a spot for you in AAA they send you back to umpire school to go through the system all over again and in baseball all they care about is the name recognition of the umpires and tenure rather than the actual young umpires that might have a better eye it's the most ridiculous system i hate the umpire system that is in place i know a couple people that are training to be umpires and it's actually excruciating to talk about the issue is is that we are now i think getting the increasing recognition that so many important games postseason games even are being decided on terrible umpiring calls and terrible umpiring performances behind the plate I mean, I we've had we've talked about the Red Sox Rays series, but also the last called strike of the Dodgers Giants series last year. These are important decisions that it is important to get right. Um, and I don't know if introducing younger umpires is necessarily going to completely change the system. I don't think checking uh, balls and strikes. I like I I can see why that would remedy the the fallibility of the eye test but also if we're going back to pace of play that slows the game down immensely so i don't know i think i am very much in favor of of automated strike zones and i i think that is something that i don't know we'll see if it happens obviously the umpires union is going to have something to say about that but i think it, i think it's about time that we start getting a much greater level of accuracy for these minute decisions in the moment that can change entire outcomes. Yeah, and I think a big thing that pushed for this was the Twitter account called Umpire Scorecards, which Mm -hmm. kept track about uh, umpires. And you should check out that account if you're interested on Twitter. Once again, uh, I think it was official umpire scorecards. It's an interesting account. We wouldn't take that hard to find. And I, I, I absolutely agree with you that in the biggest games, we need to have the best decisions made. And why I also think that maybe having a certain amount of balls and strikes reviewable um, 
could be an option. I just don't think robotic umps the entire way is a good solution, especially when you have calls that could be on the, the black of the strike zone. And I don't know exactly how they're going to rule that. Are they going to be like, oh, this ball was 51% outside the zone, so now it's a ball? Because, I mean, it's kind of unrealistic uh, to me, especially because um, you have to look at where the ball crosses the plate, not where it ends up in the catcher's mitt. But <sighs> there's a lot of aspects to it. I think that we can agree to disagree on this subject. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a big implementation that would definitely change the game of baseball moving forward. Yeah. For sure. Um, and like I said, I don't know if it is something that's even logistically feasible to happen just because of the attitude of the players union and the especially the umpires union to any potential changes. Um, but it'll be interesting to see, especially if they roll it out in the minors first. Well, they already have. They, they have, tested really. it in the minors and I think it was single A. They tested robo umps oh, really? for at least two months down there. Uh, which is why I knew that it was going to make its way to the major leagues eventually. But the fact that they're considering it for the next uh, for next season is just it's something I don't want to think about. I want to think about 2022. And we mentioned uh, four aspects, so let's just clarify if we didn't make it clear enough before. Implementations for next season that we discussed were the pitch clock, the banning of the shift, uh, larger bases, and possibly robo-umps. This season, we have Universal DH, the expanded playoffs, uh, a whole slew of CBA financial things that I don't think you guys are too interested in uh, understanding, but as well as a topic that we didn't discuss in too much depth, which was the draft lottery. Mm -hmm. So the top six selections now are going to be awarded through this new draft lottery. I don't know. I think it's, it's something that certainly can make the MLB draft into something bigger than it already is, at least in the public sphere, because obviously the MLB draft gets nowhere near the amount of you know public attention that you get for NFL, NHL, NBA. And I don't know in the case of NHL, but it makes sense for baseball because when you draft these players, they have a rigorous process of making it to the major leagues. They have so many levels, which the MLB was trying to get rid of, and they already have gotten rid of a level of baseball, um, and they've shortened the amount of affiliated teams that you can have. But in the MLB draft, in comparison to other sports, these players are not going to make an impact, for the majority of, of them, aren't going to make an impact within the next two seasons, one season, whatever. In the NFL, and the NBA, and the N- I don't know for the NHL, maybe you could speak more about that. Um, you do see that, right? You do see players make an immediate impact on... Um, the court. And maybe that's because baseball, you can also draft uh, at a high school. And in the NFL and the NBA, they have to do at least one year at college. So I think it is different. But I do think that the draft lottery is good for baseball just because the same factors. Not every top number one overall pick is going to make it or going to be great. And I think it's a lot murkier, the decisions that are made uh, for these top prospects anyways. So I think the draft lottery for the first six teams is a good decision. Yeah, for sure. No, I, I completely agree. I think it'll be, um, it's, again, something that is modernizing the game, bringing it into the 21st century. Um, yeah, and I'm excited to see how it affects, you know, team prospects going forward. Mm-hmm. 
Well, changes are happening in the front offices, changes are happening to the rules of the game, and changes are happening to the teams and rosters themselves. Uh, soon as we broke off from the CBA agreements and things were back in place, free agency was opened, I thought the floodgates were going to be going crazy, but it didn't happen that way. And in fact, we still have a couple of big names that are in negotiating right now. But shall we get into some free agent talk? Yeah, for sure. Um, so CBA was signed, I think, March 10th, I want to say. Um, and then the very next day, March 11th, um, we have a couple moves um, the, that I don't think are big in themselves, but uh, they certainly had impacts on you know the broader free agent market. Um, one that I was thinking about, the Cubs signed Anderton Simmons, which uh, immediately took them out of the running for Carlos Correa, which yes. I thought was very interesting because I thought they they were going to go hard for Carlos Correa. That's what I I, I right. heard. So and the big the first big name that went off the board was Carlos Rodon, starting pitcher, now going to be on the San Francisco Giants on a two year forty four million dollar contract with a first year opt out. So it's basically a one-year contract, and if he doesn't do good, or if he's, he's injured, gone. or if he's injured, he's gone. So that was to me the first big move, starting pitcher off the board. Red Sox, I was hoping, would be in on starting pitchers or relievers. They ended up doing the job. We'll get into that a little bit as we go down chronologically here. Um, but that was the first starting pitcher off the board. Kershaw back to the Dodgers. That was the next one that came off the board. So we have two starting pitchers going to NL West teams. Clayton Kershaw returning for a one-year $17 million deal. Um, and I don't know how I feel about you know one-year deals for Clayton Kershaw. Obviously, the Dodgers don't want... I think their mindset is continuous, young talent. They don't want players to be locked up for a long time because they are looking for buying the best player at the time every single year. They don't want to get stuck in long-term deals um, with players they don't trust. And Clayton Kershaw is already up there in age. Obviously, they have people that they have tied up for a long time, but like like Mookie Betts. But they let Corey Seager go, so I felt like maybe that might have been a reason to get Kershaw back because the backlash from Dodger fans, if they let Seager and Kershaw go, would have been probably somewhat humongous that's so fascinating to me though because kershaw is one of these people that you always expect is going to be a dodger for life you know um i don't know if i don't know if that's going to happen i if he has a an average year he is going to walk i think next uh come next season so and the dodgers have had so many different charity events that have been run with the kershaw family uh, and, and he's brought, they've done a lot of mutual things for the organization and for the city of LA. And I think he's, you know, a franchise player for them. And it's weird to see him play for another team, but I think for a lot of starting pitchers at least, and for position players too, but a lot of starting pitchers, once they start to fall off, they do go to different teams and bounce around the league a little bit. And I don't think Kershaw's at that age yet where we He's should be seeing off. a fall off. But we are. I think it's undeniable that he didn't have a Clayton Kershaw year last year. And he's only getting older. And this is going to be, obviously, a one-year deal. It's going to be a prove-it year to see if he could hang around in L.A. Another three, four years, maybe. I guess that's the best-case scenario for him. 
But yeah, we'll get back to the Dodgers in a bit. Talking about players that we thought were going to be on teams forever. Uh, But uh, it wasn't just (laughs) signings that happened right as the market opened. Trades were also available. And one of the bigger things that kind of led to other offers was that the uh, Rangers traded Isaiah Kiner-Falefa for uh, Mitch Garver. And Mitch Garver, I've actually liked as a catcher. And you're not going to like this because I think that he's a good framer and he's also a good <laughs> defensive catcher. Isaiah Kiner-Falefa was a catcher, now plays shortstop, also has a little bit in the outfield, uh, gets traded to Minnesota, and that's a, another thing in itself. Do you want to just get into Kiner-Falefa where he is now? I guess so because he he's can. not he's not still at the Twins. Um, Kiner-Falefa spent two days, maybe, actually, no. I think less than two days. It was like 30 hours he was yeah. on the Minnesota Twins organization, and then he was gone. He was traded immediately to the Yankees. Which also takes the Yankees out of the running for Carlos Correa. And they also received in that trade, it wasn't just Kiner-Falefa, it was a two-way street. They sent over Josh Donaldson and Isaiah Kiner-Falefa and their catching prospect, for Gary Sanchez and Gio Urshela. And my God, I already loved laughing at Gary Sanchez. <laughs> but now I get to laugh at him in a Minnesota Twins jersey. In a Minnesota Twins jersey as the backup catcher, apparently. He apparently is not even going to be the starting catcher. And I don't which even is know who's astonishing who is. to me. Because they because <laughs> the Twins traded their starting catcher. So I don't understand how it's going to work, and I'm sure spring training is going to be telling to the organization itself. I don't know what the Twins are doing at all. They confuse me. But a lot of people were saying that the Yankees won the trade. I don't exactly see either side winning the trade because the Yankees are taking on the rest of the $50 million that is on uh, Josh Donaldson's contract. Um, and Gio Urshela was a decent infielder for them, although having injury issues. Um, but... I, that was an interesting trade. I think both teams were kind of... It was a mutual trade. I think so. Um, Gary Sanchez struck out in his first at-bat and second at-bat uh, <laughs> inside a Minnesota Twins jersey just the other day. <laughs> I had not heard that. That's funny. No, I think uh, Gio Rochelle especially, I think he still has a lot of time to develop. He's young-ish. I think he's mm-hmm. like 25, 26. So, yeah, no, I think I think he can become a piece of a rebuilding organization going forward. Well, they're not rebuilding. I th- that's the confusing part about the Minnesota Twins is they're getting players that are old and they traded away their catcher prospect. They traded away their best catcher and they're not receiving prospects. So, I have no idea what they're doing. They're like trying to maintain, but it's not going to work. So, maintain fifth place maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But what the interesting thing about that trade is that Josh Donaldson is on now on the same team as as Garrett Cole and the media the media asked Garrett Cole who's famous for his his Twitter beef with Josh Donaldson last year if he was okay with Josh Donaldson being on the team and he said I'll be fine. So um well I don't see um Kermit the Frog being that controversial uh, to his teammates. So, I mean, you got to make amends no matter what, and I think they will. Um, But sticking with the uh, American League Central, two players are going to the White Sox. They added Joe Kelly to their bullpen, and I think that was kind of an issue for them. The, The White Sox last year had Liam Hendricks and Craig Kimbrell. They were acquiring all these bullpen arms, and then their bullpen for the second half of the season, just didn't live up to 
the expectations I feel like they had. Uh, and that kind of led to a fall off for the uh, Chicago White Sox. But they do they do add Joe Kelly and they're adding Josh Harrison, who's a fun loving guy. It's interesting to me too that um, the Dodgers didn't bring back Joe Kelly. I, I thought, just I thought they would do that. I I understand why they sent him over, but um, I don't know. I I don't remember what his they asking just have price was. so many arms coming yeah. up. It's consistently that they have guys throwing a hundred. He's another guy who throws a hundred that doesn't have that much control. And I think they would rather have a player on arbitration than on a deal mm-hmm. um, doing that same job. And they have, they just have so many arms. I mean, they even have Trevor Bauer who's not even playing for them. So <laughs> uh, yet he's not playing for them yet. Suspended until I think what mid April. Mm-hmm. So we'll see what happens then. Uh, that's a whole nother story that <laughs> we are not going to get into. Mm-hmm. Let's get into the great, uh, the great fire sale. That is the Oakland athletics. Um, so on March 12th, Chris Bassett went to the Mets, who the Mets have been very active this season. Obviously, they had a very uh, underwhelming season last year. But yeah, I think Chris Bassett is, is certainly a uh, a good piece in their rotation. Well, I mean, they got a three-headed dragon now. They really do. They have DeGrom, Scherzer, and then you got Chris Bassett, who won an All-Star last year. I don't think he gets the recognition that perhaps that you know he deserves, but the Mets have really been taking a bunch of players from that athletics organization, Starling Marte, mm-hmm. Mark Conha, and now Chris Bassett in that trade. And I don't really think that the Mets got much out of that trade. Or not the Mets, sorry. The athletics got much no. out of that trade. Uh, it was really just um, selling Chris Bassett away. And they're not done selling. No, 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 no. The next one that happened was, I believe, Matt Olson. Yes, Matt Olson went to the Atlanta Braves on a an, on a one year contract and I believe an eight year extension. Not um, even a day after he was announced as a Atlanta Braves, he was re-signed for eight years, which I found to be a little insulting to the Freeman family. But I'm not Freeman, so I can't speak on maybe what was going on through their minds. But yeah, Matt Olson gets traded. And Freddie Freeman's gone, and we'll, we'll we'll hold on where he is. Oh, we'll hold on where he is. Yeah, but, let's get through the rest of the. We'll put a pin in the the long Freddie Freeman saga. And, but how do you think for, uh, Matt Olson's gonna affect that team? Do we believe that um, that was the right move for them? Yes, absolutely. To me, I think Matt Olson is a amazing and a little younger first baseman for the Braves organization. Obviously, the fan base wanted Freddie. But at least they didn't get some chump change first baseman to replace him. They got an all-star candidate, right. one of the best in the game first baseman. Yeah, even for somebody who would have wanted, I think everybody wanted Freeman to stay with the Braves. Um, this is not the worst outcome that we could have had at all. This is a fairly good alternative outcome for the Braves. You know, I think they they are not the same team that they were that won the World Series, but they're uh, they, they're still going to be competitive in the NL East, certainly. Oh, absolutely. They won the World Series. Right. They're going to be competitive, and this time, hopefully, they're going to have Acuna for the whole year. Right. So exactly. uh, they won the World Series without Acuna. Incredible. That's how good they were. Okay? That's how amazing they were, and it was, uh, it was interesting to see, but the Braves, that was their kind of blockbuster deal. Uh, with the athletics but one other thing happened with the athletics uh that kind of was surprising to me i didn't see this coming but the blue jays 
traded for Matt Chapman. Yeah. That and Blue Jays lineup is terrifying. It's pretty terrifying. I don't like it every single hour. I feel that the Red Sox chances uh, to make the playoffs dwindle because they are not signing what they might be wanting, what I want them to. But uh, names are flying off the board. And yeah, so that trade with uh, with the Blue Jays to get Matt Chapman obviously improves their third base. Matt Chapman's known for his grandiose defense. Yes, uh, one of which the is best. something that they need, that the Blue Jays needed last year. One of the best in the league. He's not, he did not have a good season last year. Not, and I think a lot of athletics didn't have a good season last year. Once again, why they are fire selling the team. They're like panicking. They're, they don't know what to do. Everybody's got to leave. Um, They'll rebuild in Las Vegas. Don't worry. <laughs> oh, you might be right about that, which is kind of <laughs> sad, but I do hate the Coliseum. I think it's an ugly stadium. Yes. So that is your athletics lore. They are uh, not competitive. No, which is a shame because they, you really thought that they had a chance to, you know, at least get maybe a wild card spot last year. Um, you know, it's a little little heart wrenching that didn't happen for athletics fans. What with this and all the all the drama surrounding the new stadium, but uh, yeah, it's it's hard to be an Oakland fan right now. But the athletics are not the only team that are selling their team or selling their players. Every All Star. Let's talk about the Cincinnati Reds. Oh, it doesn't oh make God. sense that trade. So what happened was the Cincinnati Reds traded Jesse Winkler and Eugenio Suarez to the Seattle Mariners for absolutely nothing. Chump, complete chump change, which is, yeah, the Reds have not been good recently at all. Oh, they were um, contending. They were contending in that weird NL Central. Yeah, well, they're not going to be contending now. If it it wasn't for the, like, whatever, 14-game winning streak that the The St. Louis Cardinals went on, they would have been absolutely in the running. They were until then. Mm -hmm. So I think that they were definitely a competitive team until they just decided, well, we can't pay these guys anymore. So we got to send Jesse Winkler, and we got to send Eugenio Suarez, who didn't have a great year, out uh for nothing that seattle mariners lineup ow obviously they were in the running for wild card in the american league they look a lot better this year yes they do and they're young i said that their year was going to be 2023 um to have a good run but they're kind of ahead of schedule and they're doing the right things to put themselves in a good position in that American League West, which has been kind of dominated by one team for a long time, and they're seeing some of their pieces walk away, that one team being the Astros. Um, they're seeing Correa maybe out the door. They I already he's, had, he's out the door. <laughs> they, Correa's not coming back. They already Houston. had Springer leave, uh, so uh, it should be interesting that American League West, with uh, the acquisitions that they've made, um, of course, James Paxson's also there too, if you don't remember that. So, yeah. and Robbie Ray. Yeah, I think especially with Oakland being a lot less competitive this year, this is uh, really a dogfight between Seattle and Houston this year. Mm-hmm. And in other news as well, uh, Castellanos is a free agent at the moment. Nobody is really talking about him. Uh, he's kind of been quiet as a right field option. For teams, so I'm excited to see where he lands, and it's most likely. Oh well, I would say it's a 99% chance it's not Cincinnati. Yes, that's true. I think the I think the Rays have, have been interested in him. Um, I think he would be, you know, a good addition 
um, mm-hmm. to the lineup, certainly. And that um, NL Central, uh, teams are improving. The Cubs, we mentioned. Yes, that. the Cubs. Oh, my gosh. The Cubs are, I don't know if, I don't know how strong they'll be this season but they'll be a hell of a lot better than the triple a team that they were last year well they did sell their team beforehand and we'll get into some of the where those players are in a couple seconds here but what did they improve on what did they grab they grabbed well we already talked about marcus stroman mm-hmm. um Seiya suzuki is coming to the cubs on oh, i don't remember how long the deal was it's five years five year deal um but yeah, that was something that a lot of teams were in on. So I was very surprised that the Cubs, who had their own fire sale last year, um, are seemingly, you know, they're prepping for a competitive season this year. Seiya, Marcus Stroman. I, and I, I don't think it really makes sense for them. But... Patrick Wisdom? Okay. Patrick, they have Patrick Wisdom on calm, their team? Calm down about Patrick Wisdom, you know. Just because he brings the knowledge doesn't mean that he knows how to win. But um, in that organization, they love to fly the W. But I just don't see them being... I guess the NL Central is really weird. The NL Central is really, really strange. And it has been strange for a long time. Um, The Pirates have been bad for a long time. The Reds were getting good and now they're not. The, The Cubs were the pinnacle of the NL Central. And then they decided to sell their entire team. So... The other thing is is that St. Louis has not made a lot of moves this offseason, which I would have thought they would have been very active. Um, I just think they're trusting the young pieces they have. Maybe. And then the old guys like Yadier Merlina and Wainwright, I guess, are just going to be the captains as they've been. Mm-hmm. And hopefully they'll lead them back to the postseason. Um, and I don't know. I, I just think that the NL Central's in a weird place and the Cubs, I guess, are trying to be competitive to make a postseason. Maybe... Maybe the expanded playoffs was an incentive for them to go further in on the season because they know there's yeah, that extra spot. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Um, that'll be certainly be interesting. We haven't talked about Milwaukee. Milwaukee also has not really done anything either. And they 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 don't typically do anything, actually. No, but I would have thought that, you know, with the success that they had last uh, They've had success season. in the last couple seasons, few seasons. Uh, I, you know, I said that they were going to go out and win the division and they did. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that's on me, you know, that's great. <laughs> I do some good predictions sometimes. Um, but I just, I think it's going to be weird. And when we finally get to our prediction video, which will come probably mid spring training, maybe the last couple weeks of spring training, we'll do a prediction video or episode. Um, we'll talk more about it, but we do got to get to where some of these longtime Cubs did end up after getting traded in the middle of last season. Uh, Anthony Rizzo is back with the Yankees, and it's kind of controversial because uh, Anthony Rizzo is not vaccinated and will not be able to play in Toronto, which yeah. they see quite often. Yes, um, less often though this year. We didn't talk about uh, interleague play. Oh God, we um, are so deep into this podcast. We're deep, no, I know, I know, I know. But <laughs> the because the there because there's more interleague play this year. I think there's going to be less meetings with Toronto. So that's maybe not as big of an issue for New York as it would have been in the past. Um, I don't know. As for the deal itself, I think it's fine. I think Rizzo, you know, he did decently well with New York last year. So. Yeah, no, no, I I think I think that was uh, I think that was should have happened if the Yankees weren't already trying to get another first baseman. So I think Anthony Rizzo, (laughs) I don't like seeing him in the Yankee uniform. I love Rizzo. I loathe him. But, you know, it's what baseball is. I thought potentially 
the name that I'm going to get to and after this one was going to go to the Red Sox because of it. But I thought it was going to be a trickle-down effect. It wasn't. And the other star from the Cubs organization was uh, Chris Bryant making the signing to the Rockies? Yeah, I did not see that coming. Yeah. Um, Just about nobody saw that. You know what? I don't think even the Rockies front office saw that one coming. It doesn't make sense. You let Story go. You let Arenado go. So you think they're like, all right, we're rebuilding. We don't need another franchise player right now. We'll, We'll build a franchise player. But no. It's astonishing how little direction this front office has at all. Like I have no idea what they're thinking. I don't think it's I don't think it's bad. I think Chris Bryant is good and I think he'll do well especially at Coors. But I do not see how this is something that advances the Rockies uh fortunes in the near future. I can't wrap my head around it. I really can't. Um I, I just I, I, that's all I have to say about it. I can't wrap my head around it. But what I can understand which was the name that I think everybody's been waiting for us to announce. And they know it too because they. this is the biggest name in free agency. Uh, one of them at least. Freddie Freeman, long time Atlanta Brave, is going to the Los Angeles Dodgers for six years with a no trade clause and no opt-outs. So he's there. Yeah. Um, that line, talking about scary lineups, man. That is... Talk about scary teams. Yeah, that is terrifying. Um, You know, Freddie Freeman's California kid, they were thinking about signing. He was thinking about signing with the Red Sox were in contention. Um, The Rays were in contention, which surprised me. Uh, A lot of teams were. I mean, the Atlanta Braves were in contention at one point. The Blue Jays, the Yankees. And when... And he had the most interesting uh, free agency so far just because... It was so close that they were to a deal, and then he wasn't. And then he was close to a deal, and then he wasn't. So uh, there was a lot of things in the media that was pushing towards something getting done sooner, and I thought he was going to go to the Dodgers a lot earlier than he did, but he did end up in a Dodger uniform. He's, you know, hometown. So it kind of made sense. But what gave me a little bit of hope was when Anthony Rizzo signed for the Yankees, Freddie Freeman and Anthony Rizzo have a very close relationship in friendship and rivalry. And I thought maybe that he was going to oh go to the my Red Sox. That would be incredible. <laughs> because he yeah. needs to get revenge because Anthony Rizzo struck him out. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. He needs to uh, He needs to get on the mound for the Red Sox. Strike out Anthony Rizzo. <laughs> um, no, I mean, same thing for the Rays. The Rays had a pretty decent offer i think they had 160 million over five years um or sorry 140 million yeah, i, was, over I five thought it years. was 140 yeah um which is not like they are very rarely that far in on free agents so i really thought they had a shot but it's the uh, it's the hope that kills you mm. it really is but he got a good deal at uh, in los angeles at six years 162 million he's gonna mm-hmm. get he, it's he's gonna have a good six years in Los Angeles, I think at least maybe at least a good couple years in, the, in Los Angeles. Uh, a couple tiny moves that I didn't get to mention uh, were the were moves that the Red Sox made, and I would like to, you know, announce them because I am a Red Sox fan. They got Matt uh, Strom as well as Jake Diekman to help their bullpen out, uh, to help their pitching out, which was a major concern for them. They needed to, 
And I thought there was a lot of different talks about certain people go coming back. Uh, I personally would have... I was a little split on Kyle Schwarber just because I think he's a little inconsistent. Uh, but Kyle Schwarber did not come back to the Red Sox. He signed with the Phillies. Yes, um, and that is, I think, the first or one of the first examples of uh, the universal DH really freeing up space for National League teams. Um, the other example that I'm thinking of is Nelson Cruz to the Nationals. Mm. Um you know, these designated hitters that are not, you know, super valuable on the field, um, but do have that, that power bat that a lot of teams need, mm-hmm. you know, just the the amount of spots that the Universal DH opens up has really increased uh, the market for them. I don't know. It'll be interesting to and see. And I was talking to a Phillies fan the other day who is against the Universal DH, and once Schwarber signed, I obviously had to have a conversation with him. How did he feel about it? And he seemed pretty happy about the signing. Obviously, baseball is going to be baseball, so I'm sure he's just happy that they got a DH. But he was also going off to me about how they have three DHs, really. They have a bunch of players that are like a DH that they could have in that spot. And he doesn't actually know whether or not Kyle Schwarber will be their DH. So... I don't know enough about the Phillies, but he's a prominent Phillies fan who's very confused. That is very interesting. I don't know. I, I, where would they, I guess, as an outfielder? Yes. Interesting. <laughs> I guess, I mean, I guess it could work. I don't know. It'll be interesting um, to see. I don't know. With the with the the activity the Mets have, have had this postseason, I, I think it's, even with the Braves, I think it's their division to lose. But, you know, we said that last year, so... Oh, we did. Oh, we did. Actually, no. That's not what we said. I predicted... Oh, what did I... I think Nate still had... And he's a Mets fan. He still had the Braves winning the division. And I believe I had the Mets. But I would have to go back and whether or not I had the Braves instead. But it wasn't all of us saying that really? the Mets Well, were one of you was actually. right. One of you was right. Or both of us. Or both I of you. I still don't... I don't remember exactly. I cer- it's I been a long time. I certainly thought that the Mets... You know, I think this is the year that the Mets sort of break out, um, where everybody assumed it would be last year. Um, well, it makes sense. They've spent an incredible amount of money. And even when talked to Stephen Cohen, or Steve Cohen, the owner of the, the team, uh, about the tax, he was basically like, ah, I don't really care. The owners are against me anyways. Call it the Steve Cohen tax. Oh, my gosh. So... Uh, they don't really care about the money they spend. I think those are really the major deals. There's a couple minor ones uh, that we didn't get to talk about, but I think those are just the major players, and there are a couple that are still around. Uh, Trevor Story and Carlos Correa, the two biggest shortstops uh, that are still on the market, that still don't have a team. Um, Nick Castellanos, we mentioned. Nick Castellanos. Where do you think, I know that this is a longer episode of the podcast, which they will be from now on, but where do you think? Uh, where do you think they're going to land? That is such a good question. Um, Correa, oh, all of the people that I would have said that I think I thought would have signed Correa have already gone with other options. So I really can't I say. I think there's a good chance he comes back to Houston at this point. I don't think so. I I heard that the 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 word is um, the Astros are in still. On I don't think so. I I've, I've heard that they are very pessimistic about him coming back, and I I don't think he wants to come back. He's listed his house in Houston. I know. Um, I know he did, but I don't want him to go to any other team. To be honest, that has you know that are in the running at the moment. Um, but 
Carlos Soler is another name, by the way, that I've just read uh, a little bit. We're, we're, we're on the spot right now, but um, I don't think I want Carlos Correa, definitely not on a Red Sox uniform. Apparently, they've been in on him for a while, and then they weren't in on him, so just putting that out there. I don't know. I think the difficult part is that there's two shortstops right now on the market. If there was one, it would be clear that everybody would be bidding on one. But it feels like the interest is split because Trevor Story is a part of the equation. Yeah, I think Trevor Story will be especially appealing to smaller market teams. I've heard there have been rumors about Correa to the Orioles, which I okay, that's I, that's a little ridiculous. But um, what about the Tigers? I felt like they were gonna spend and get another another star player on their infield, and I haven't heard anything about the Tigers. Yeah, no, I think I I don't know. I think they're planning to use. Javi there. Oh, okay. I don't know. I, don't I mean, know. I'm not a Detroit Tigers fan. I don't know how that'll but... work, but, um, you know, that'll be really interesting. And then Castellanos, you know, I think a lot of teams could use a right fielder. Yes, I think including he could go anywhere. Including the Red Sox could use Nick Castellanos. Um, but they're just, he's been a quiet free agent. There hasn't been a lot of news around him. And I think with some of these bigger names going off, um, certain media has been starting to pay more attention to him. Um, but there's just not a lot of speculation going on, and I can only imagine that he ends up in a place where that needs a right fielder. But, of course, we've seen some crazy things this offseason, so maybe he even goes to the Athletics for some reason. Or that the Minnesota was... Twins! You know what You know what would not surprise me? Going to the Colorado Rockies. <laughs> I guess so. I, nothing that they do can surprise me at this point. Hey, future Tampa Bay Ray? Future Tampa Bay Ray. It's possible. I could see Jorge Soler signing with That's the Rays. That's true. I, I, I could too. And I think they are in on, for the moment, on Jorge Soler. Yeah. Um, though I also think it's possible that he goes back to Atlanta. Mm. Maybe. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see. He's another guy that could really end up in a lot of places. And I guess that's how the, the incoming weeks will... Or week, really, it should be, because players have reported to spring training. There's games going on. I would presume they want to get their workouts in. Um, but I guess that's that's what we're going to have to be looking out for, and that's what you guys should be looking out for uh, as we get into the preseason. And I hope you guys, once again, are watching baseball. If you don't have time to watch baseball, of course, it is spring training, so don't be too worried about it. Uh, we'll wait till the later weeks to get really crazy about our predictions and takes from what we've seen. But uh, I'm happy. I'm happy to have baseball. I'm happy that we're able to have these conversations. And I think that is where we're going to leave off today. Um, we're still working on schedules for the podcast, but it seems that Saturday is going to definitely be the day that we're going to see the most consistent upload so uh, look out next week on saturday for the next episode of the two scene podcast remember that we are on uh apple Podcasts and as well as spotify so follow us there and keep track and and we'll of course be sending out notifications on our twitter at the two scene pod when it is announced and if you enjoyed our takes um i'm pretty active on twitter with my uh, baseball jokes and other takes on current availabilities and and what's been going on with free agency at um tyler underscore underscore four and camilo uh i am on twitter as fonseca f-o-n-s-e-c-a underscore e-s-q no i am not a lawyer um and yeah i have got some baseball takes i've got some funny non sequiturs so yeah give me a follow 
big Star Wars guy right here. Oh, yeah. Um, he's very excited about uh, Kenobi. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's going to be great. And I hope that you guys are excited for the next episode of the Two Scene Podcast, and we look forward to seeing you guys again then.